Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that this message encourages you today. For additional resources to learn about what it looks like to be fully alive with Jesus, visit our website at plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. I like this. All right, here we go. Uh, Welcome to Plainfield Christian Church. My name is Derek Skinner. I am the high school minister here. If you are joining us online, welcome as well. Ritos, hope you get to feeling better, buddy. My kid's homesick, so man, hopefully we get to see you. See you all soon. Anyways, I got two announcements before we begin. First off, Hard to believe, but Easter is readily approaching. In order to prepare ourselves, similar like we did to Christmas, we have Word and Table happening again on Monday nights at 6. It's not a worship night. This is the time we come in and take communion with one another, pray, etc. So if you want to be a part of that, Monday's at 6. There's the first one. Second one is you'll notice at the end of our services that prayer matters, and we have a prayer team that wants to pray over and with you, so if you have things you need prayer for, obviously come to them. But the the other part of that is we're looking for people who want to join that team or be a part of a new thing called the Boiler Room. And the idea with this is on Sunday mornings, getting some people together to pray over what we do on Sunday mornings. So if you're interested in this and want to learn more about it, today at four o'clock in the chapel, they're gonna have a meeting with those interested. So if that's you, come on, come on, come on. Sound good? Let's start today. We've been going through Lord's Prayer. Let's recite it together. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It was between my, the summer between my sophomore year of college and my junior year that I did a thing called camp teams or travel teams. Basically, you go around from church camp to church camp to promote the college, Johnson Bible College. Now, has anybody served in camp before? Your camp folks, okay, that means a lot of you haven't, so let me walk you through what camp looks like. You know what I'm talking about, Mr. Clark. Here we go. (laughs) Camp, day one, everyone's excited, right? Everything's good until the nighttime, we'll say nighttime on the Sunday night, maybe Monday, it's homesick day. Then you get to Wednesday, Wednesday's when there's the big push, gospel push to make a decision for Jesus, we call that cry night. Friday comes and you're sleep deprived, you haven't eaten well, you have a rash, you can't explain, and now you have a mix of emotions because on one hand, you're sad. You just spent an entire week away from distractions with people who love Jesus. So there's all like this close relationships, you feel close to God, naturally happens. So you're sad. At the same time, you're really happy because you're gonna finally, especially middle schoolers, shower. And you're gonna get your own bed and good food. So you're on this roller coaster of emotions, and by the end of it, you're blitz-tired. Now, imagine that week, and then for camp teams, you do it eight weeks of the summer in a row, and on the weekends, you go to churches and preach, teach, do a drama or skit. That's camp teams. Welcome. So I got to do camp teams. And it was at the end of that summer, we were heading to a church camp up in eastern Pennsylvania called Camp Epicacica. There's a mouthful. 
Epikasika. It was a high school week of camp, small camp, maybe 50 people, right? Wasn't very big. You had a middle-aged youth minister, balding with glasses, who not only loved to speak, but he also loved to lead worship. And at the time, it was all third-day songs. This is my offering, dear Lord. And he would just belt it, here we go. It was the only camp I've been to, and I didn't say this on the first service, the only camp I've been to where the faculty came one day and they said this, hey, keep the campers in the dorms, we spotted bears. (laughs) Wasn't ready for that one, right? Wasn't ready. Now, after that Friday night service, you go to a thing called campfire. And campfire, for those who haven't been there, campfire happens one of two ways. Think of it like Oprah Winfrey, okay? Any talk show. Sometimes it's, you get all these gifts and prizes and it's like, let's sing song and do dance and we are just having the time of our lives. On the other side, it's drama. Heavy, heavy, heavy. That's campfire. Now, I don't know how this last campfire went, but I knew we were winding down. And as it was finishing up, we got to the campfire, you see all the wooden benches. The minister then told us to do something I thought was very, I'll show you this. You see this symbol before? We call this awkward turtle. You guys got, show me awkward turtle. Everybody put your hands, awkward turtle. If an awkward situation arises, you give them the awkward turtle. This was an awkward turtle moment. What happened was campfire finishes. Youth minister says, hey, let's wrap this up a little bit differently. He says, I want you to get in your groups and pray, which is normal, that's fine. We sat down and like all good Christians, we got in a circle because that's the only way we can pray. And anyway, so we circle up. And then he said the first awkward turtle moment. He said, we're going to do this a little bit different. We're going to do it popcorn prayer. Popcorn prayer, again, if you don't know, popcorn prayer is open mic night for prayer. Anybody at any time can say anything they want. And it goes about how you think. If you're introverted, it's great. Because you can sit back in the shadows and no one knows you're there. You don't have to say a thing. If you're extroverted, it's okay. You get your opportunity. But if you're extremely extroverted, this is your golden ticket moment. And when one person finishes talking, anyone can jump in at that moment. And sometimes the the awkward part is they jump in at the same time and then nobody says anything. So first awkward moment, he says, let's go ahead and circle up. Let's do some popcorn prayer. Okay, here we go. Uh, Uh-uh, but wait. Awkward moment number two. Let's do it kneeling. Now what I think that youth minister had forgotten at that moment was that the fire pit wasn't on soft, comfy grass. It was on crushed stone. So we go down to kneel, get cameras if you can, Luke Proctor vision here. It's too easy, man, it's too easy. Softball, just too easy. And now you can see, you can see in the group, people wincing in pain because you have knee, or you have rocks embedding in your knees. So you're sitting here like squirming already and then it begins. Now the way any prayer begins in a group like this is the leaders, One starts, we call that picking up. The other one closes, we call that hanging up. You've heard that over and over again, probably. I was the closer. That's good. I've got time. I can think of words to say and what to pray. We've got time to do this. But it's popcorn style, and we don't know how it's going to go. So the leader starts. She starts to pray. And then two kids at the same time. Now no one's talking, but eventually, we're high schoolers here, they get the rhythm. And we don't do popcorn prayer, now we do the wave style. The wave, it starts and just continues to progress to the right. And we got a good rhythm going. Got a good, it's coming around, it's almost my turn, until it hits a kid named Stephen. (laughs) 
Stephen has been to every week of camp you can imagine, and he has the wristbands and armbands to prove it. Stephen knows every camper by name. You know why? Because he prayed for every camper he's ever met by name. And here I sit. Five minutes go by. Six minutes. Ten minutes are passing. Kids are whimpering, people moving and shifting, blood trickling down our knees. I realized in that moment my prayers changed. I stopped praying for everyone else. Now I started praying for Stephen. God, it's been a while. We haven't had a good plague. <laughs> or, or God, you remember in Acts, there was a Stephen there. Didn't turn out good for him. Great for the church. <laughs> Eventually, he finishes. He uses every word in the English dictionary. And then finally, it's my turn. And I just say amen. And then you can watch as everyone is now crippled as they begin to get up and rocks fall out with flesh. Now, I say that to draw your attention to something that maybe you feel and I feel. Prayer can be awkward. Am I right? You've been there, you know this. Prayer by itself can be awkward. And we've been talking about the Lord's Prayer. Let me show you how awkward prayer can be. This is Lord's Prayer, Lord's Prayer. Um, I want you guys on this side of the room you're gonna go to Matthew 6, 13 through 14. You guys over here, Luke 11, one through five. Let me show you why this is awkward. Our phrase today that we're focusing on is this. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The benediction or ending to the Lord's Prayer. I was taught this as a little kid growing up in church. Now go to your section. This is Matthew, you ever met what? Matthew 6, 13, 14, right there, end of the Lord's Prayer. Luke 11, one through five. That, what do you see is awkward about this phrase? Think about it. No one's turning their Bibles. Oh. Dear Lord, no, just kidding. What do you think? You know what's awkward? It's not there. That's what's awkward. I can remember as a kid being taught this phrase over and over again, and wait a second, it's not in your Bible? This got me so much. Ashley, I told her, this is what I'm preaching on. And she said, okay, I'm gonna look, I'm gonna look it up. So she goes into Matthew, you people. She goes into Matthew. She says, Derek, it's not there. And I say, no, it's gotta be wrong. Because you know Derek knows more than the Bible. Mark, mark, mark. I was like, oh, it's probably in Luke. Let's go to Luke. Luke doesn't have it. Now I feel like I've been lied to. Where is it? Why is it? And here's the thing. It comes down to the reason you sometimes see this phrase and sometimes you don't. The reason why depends on the version of the Bible you have. Now, stay with me just to explain this small but yet awkward moment. The way this works, if you can think about it, the disciples, when they're following Jesus, they're not writing everything down right when it happens. It's not like, all right, what did you, I missed that. Jesus, I know you're talking to the thousands, but real quick, what did you say about, they didn't do that. They listened to his stories again and again. Matter of fact, they probably recited those stories again and again. It's called the oral tradition. And they passed them along. As time went on, now Jesus is dead, resurrection, you get all that, they start these churches. Persecution breaks out. And now you start to see some of these followers are being killed for following. Now they're saying, we got to write this stuff down, make sure people have a copy. Well, guess what? They didn't put it, one, in English. They started off, especially with New Testament in Greek. So now they're making all these copies. They don't have a printing press, so scribes are writing. As it progresses on then, church-wide, there's a tradition then of wrapping up the Lord's Prayer with this benediction. It gets established. 
And if you look, the phrases themselves don't take away from Scripture. It is God's kingdom. It is by his power and for his glory. We'd all say that. But then the scribes are now adding that in. It's the benediction of our church, easy to add. And now more manuscripts are being written. So by the time you get to King James, or your new King James, right? King James, he has that and says, look, all these manuscripts have it. We want it too. But now, why does your Bible not? Well, as time went on and more archaeological discoveries were made, all of a sudden, they found in these early manuscripts, they didn't see the phrase. And that's when they realized, hey, let's stay with those. So that's why you may, in your Bible, have an asterisk that says, well, sometimes the Lord's Prayer finishes this way. Again, prayer can be awkward. If not, maybe you grew up in the church. How many of you guys grew up with the Lord's Prayer? You knew it, maybe you had to say it often. Good. Tell me this is not one of the most awkward phrases or opportunities. Forgive us our, Lord, forgive us our, how do you finish it? Debts, sins, transgressions? There's three different options. Wee, 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 wee. Awkward turtle. So here's what I, I want to start with. Well, let's acknowledge prayer can be awkward, but I want us to embrace it because Jesus even told us we're supposed to pray. So if we're supposed to pray, how do you then get over the awkwardness of prayer? Well, here's what I would say. Let's start by defining it. Prayer in and of itself, this is a definition. What is prayer? The definition, simply put, prayer is communication with God. Simply put, prayer is communication with God. Now, again, you want to know what's awkward. I think the comedian Lily Tomlin mentions it or highlights the awkwardness. She says this, why is it that when we talk to God, we're said to be praying, but when God talks to us, we're schizophrenic? She's highlighting something there, the awkwardness of the moment. The awkwardness is this, is when I'm praying, you said I'm talking to God, but I don't see him. So it's like I'm talking to an imaginary friend, and yet I don't always hear back. So is this even real, or are, are, are we schizophrenic? This is what, and this is what I think we all, maybe I'm wrong, this is something I struggle with. And I think you might too. But here's where I take some refuge. So did the Israelites. So did God's own people. If you go back into their history, go back to one of the biggest moments of Israel's past, the Exodus. In the Exodus, what you see is all of a sudden God's people are slaves 400 years. And God, through miraculous means, frees them turns the Nile to blood, all these different plagues, the locusts, and I wish it would have got Stephen early on, but you get the idea. It, <laughs> the sun blocked out. The death of the firstborn, they, are, they flee. And even then, the Red Sea is parted. They go across on dry ground. And then afterwards, they're in the desert, and he provides food and water. He comes on the mountain with a cloud and fire. God is always visually, in some ways, represented there. And then all of a sudden, and this is why I think they struggled with it, what happens next? Moses goes on the mountain. He's up there 40 days. And then all of a sudden, they start looking at their watches. Hey, Aaron, he's been gone for a really, really long time. I need something to look at. Can you give me a golden calf? Right? They turn away from God and say, make us gods we can see. They struggle with it. I think this is just highlighting, when it comes to prayer, one of the awkward parts. And yet, what gives me some comfort is look at what Jesus says, Matthew, Matthew 6, verse 6. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who's unseen. He acknowledges one of the most difficult parts, I find, of prayer itself. So let's go here. 
Jesus also said this, when you pray, do not. And when you pray, do not. And I think what I want to do with that, and when you pray, don't do this. Go ahead and put it up there, Matthew 6, 5. If I see this, what that means, it tells me this. There are certain things I should do and should not do when it comes to prayer. You with me? So what I want to do is spend the rest of our time doing this. What are four barriers that get in our way when it comes to prayer, and what are some tips we can take away from that, okay? Because we know God wants us to do it. Let's make it less awkward and embrace this. So number one, let's do barriers to prayer. Number one, lack of faith. Number one is a lack of faith. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The first question that comes to prayer is, do I lack the faith? Do I really believe that God exists? I can't see him. Do I believe he exists? Do I believe that he's gonna hear me and that he was active in the world in which we live? If you don't believe one of those three things, my guess is you will not pray. Do I believe he exists, he hears, and can change? This is Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline. He says this, the Bible prayers prayed as if their prayers could and would make an objective difference. Let me tell you an example. Luke has mentioned this before about a man named Tony Campolo. Tony Campolo, you might remember this story. We'll do it again, right? Stay with me. Tony Campolo was a Baptist preacher. He was asked to speak at a Pentecostal college. And as he got there, the guys got him into a room. Let's make this awkward. Get him into a room, kneel down, pray. Put his hand on his head. Awkward. So then, then what they do, they start praying. But he says they're Pentecostal preachers. That means they're very wordy. They like to talk. And he says the more they talked, the more tired they got. The more tired they got, the more they began to lean on my head. And he says to make matters worse, they weren't even talking about me. They're not even praying for me. He said one of them was like, Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzfus. You know him, Lord. Please help Charlie. God, you know Charlie. He lives a mile down the road on the right side in the silver trailer. You know Charlie. And he's down there thinking, he doesn't need directions. (laughs) Lord, be with Charlie. He's getting ready to leave his wife and his three kids. God, convict him. The prayers, again, the preachers are on top of his head saying, Tony, do you feel the spirit? Do you feel the spirit? And he said, no, but I feel a crick in my neck. Eventually, he says, I got those preachers off my head. I went out, delivered my message. I then afterwards got in my car, got on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. As I was driving, I saw a hitchhiker. I stopped because I know you shouldn't pick up hitchhikers, but I'm a preacher, and I can trap him to where he has to hear about the gospel now. So he gets him, boom, gotcha. And he says, hi, my name's Tony Campolo, what's yours? He goes, hey, my name's Charlie Stolzfus. And he goes, whoa. <laughs> Without saying a word, he got off at the next exit, got, went under the underpass, back on the pipe, going the other way. And the guy then looked at him and said, hey, man, where are you taking me? Home. Home, why are you taking me home? Because you just left your wife and three kids, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did. And he said, for the rest of the ride, he's glued to the seat, looking at the window, looking right at him. He goes, I really did him in when I drove a mile past the convention center on the right side and pulled up to the silver trailer, which was his house. And he looks at him saying, how did you know this was my house? He goes, God told me. He says, he gets out of the car. He runs up to his wife. 
She's like, oh, you're back, you're back. And he whispers something in her ear, and he says, you could just watch your eyes begin to bulge. And then Tony says this. He says, with real authority, I said, to the two of you sit down. I'm going to talk to you, and you're going to listen. And boy, did they listen. And I led those two people to Jesus Christ that night. Now, here's the thing. Do I really believe that God can hear and that he'll act? This is Archbishop William Temple. He said this, the coincidences occur much more frequently when I pray. Do I believe it? Barrier number one, lack of faith. Barrier number two, motives. Motives, we see this. Jesus even mentions this, right? Matthew 6, verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the street corners, to be seen by others. It's not that I want God to hear me. It's that I want you to think I'm religious. I want to look good in front of other people. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was a doubter, then became a leader in the church, wrote this in James chapter 4. You don't have because you don't ask. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Am I asking for things that are just the wrong motives? Here's some questions to ask. Why do I want this? Does this put the kingdom first or myself first? Does this glorify God or exalt myself? Donald Whitney, in his book on prayer, he he wrote about this. He said, are we asking for things that are outside of the will of God or would not glorify him? Are we praying with selfish motives? Are we failing to deal with the kind of blatant sin that causes God to put all our prayers on hold? What is the motive you have behind the prayers you're asking? What is the motive? Now, this other one, or I would say barrier number three, is closely related. Manipulating God. Put your hand out like this. Hands out, hands out, let's go. Imagine there's a magic lamp in your hand. With me? You don't have to do this one. That's weird. Just do this. Imagine you have a magic lamp. Jesus says this in Matthew as well. When you pray, don't be like, or don't keep on babbling like the pagans. Because they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. They have this mentality in mind. The idea for the pagans was if I do the right things and say the right words, then, wiki, 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 oh, genie. You have to do whatever I say. Now, look at this, because this is what Jesus is saying. Don't pray like that. Don't think just because you go through the motions on Sunday, or maybe you give your offering, you do the religious actions you're supposed to do, then when I come to God, I have to say the right phrases so that wicked, wicked God gives me what I want. In this case, if you think of it that way, who is God in this situation? Me. Because even though God can do the thing, who's controlling God? And that's where I'd say, as soon as you say somebody's over God, he's no longer God. It could be that I'm trying in my prayer life to manipulate God. Now, all of this to say, when we talk about motives, I want you to look at the early church. Two individuals in, in particular. In Acts, we learn about Peter and John. They've been thrown in prison. They testified about Christ, and then they were thrown in prison. They were mistreated, threatened, and on their release, they start their prayer off this way. Now, Lord, consider their threats in. Now, stop. If it was you, you've just been threatened, falsely accused, thrown in prison, and released, how would you finish that prayer? Just think for a moment. How would you finish it? Hear their threats and... Look in, just watch the motives here. Listen to how they finished it. 
Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. It wasn't, Lord, take away the pain. Get rid of the difficulty. Make life easy. Provide a hedge of protection when I travel. It was God give me boldness in the midst of those things so that I speak your word and so others can learn. Look at the motives of their prayer. Lack of faith, motives, manipulating God, last one. A smoldering disobedience. There's a story, there's a story um, by, this is John Lavender in his book, Why Prayers Are Unanswered, about Norman Vincent Peale. And he said, Norman Vincent Peale, as a boy, he found a black cigar. No one was around, he grabbed the cigar, goes in this alleyway, lights it up, starts smoking. He said, it tasted awful, tasted awful. But there was something about it that just made me feel all grown up. That was until my dad started walking towards me and I'm in the alleyway. And in a moment of panic, he takes that cigar and puts it behind his back, smoke slowly billowing up behind him. And he's trying to think of a distraction. His dad gets closer, and he sees a billboard beside them for the circus. And he says, Dad, circus is coming to town. Dad, can we go to the circus, please? When they come, can we go? And he says, I'll never forget my dad's response. Son, he answered quietly but firmly, Never make a petition while at the same time trying to hide a smoldering disobedience. You're hiding this. Isaiah 59 says it this way. Surely the arm of the Lord's not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your, your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Do I have in my life a smoldering disobedience? Am I in one time disobeying God and saying, God, bless me, bless me, bless me? It's not gonna happen. There's your four boundaries. Lack of faith, motives, manipulating God, and a smoldering disobedience. Now let me give you some five tips, I would say. And these come with motions, so I expect this to be very, but we'll go with it. Ready? First one, hands out like you're on a steering wheel. I want you to say this with me. Test drive. One more time. Test drive. Bingo. Test drive. When the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray, he says, when you pray, say. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book that's gone bad. But anyways, when you pray, say this. In other words, if you want to learn how to pray, you've got to practice. You've got to take it out for a test drive. Let me put it this way. If you've had teenagers who are going to get their license, would you rather, which one would you rather have? Would you rather go over all the rules and laws and have them ace the written test? Or would you rather get them in the car and make sure they can drive it? My gut leans here. I don't know where you're at, but I would go there, right? There's a school down in Nashville when it comes to your driver's license. Um, What they do is parents will take their kids. Kids will sit shotgun, and then on this side, you'll have a professional race car driver. And they will take him, they'll take whatever kid it is, they'll take him out in the car and they say, I want you to see what this car can do. And then it's like, boom, and they're going around on the track and flooring and dads are over here because they can't join them and they're just salivating because they wish they could go. And then here they go all the way around. They get around the track and they get back here and then it's not see you later. It is, hey, let's switch. Now it's your turn to see what a car can do. If you want to learn to pray, you've got to get behind the wheel. You've got to take it for a test drive. Test drive, right? Number two, we got test drive. Show me test drive. Test drive. Now t- tap your watch. Time and location. Let's hear it. 
time and location. It matters, if you're gonna have a conversation, it matters the timing and the location of, if you have little kids, and you're trying to have a real-to-real adult conversation, best of luck, that's what I'm gonna say. Best of luck trying. You know it, you know how this is. It matters the location and timing of it. Jesus was said this, this is Luke 5, 16. It says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The location mattered and the timing mattered. I had a, uh, my mentor, Bruce Cameron, he would every morning wake up at five in the morning to spend time with God. The reason why is he goes, as soon as six hits, I'm getting emails, I'm getting phone calls, I'm running all over the place, I don't have time. But here, no one's awake. I go to this same chair, there's my lamp, there's my Bible, it's all set, there's no excuses, I can wake up, no one will interrupt us. Time and location matter, time and location. All right, test drive, time and location. Next one, I got it here. You're not gonna like this, take your phone. There's an app, there's an app called Be Real. Right? The, in the invention of this app, the way that, and you can see there's a picture, the pictures are different. The way this app works is that it gives you a, a warning. If you have the app, it'll vibrate in your pocket, notification saying in the next two minutes, you need to take a picture. And it uses both sides of your camera. So one pointing at you, one pointing out. The idea and the invention of that app was in response to all social media. Because social media, and you know this, you know this. When people post, they're not giving you real life. They're filtering life, aren't they? You know and I know, wrinkles show, I have blemishes, you know this. And what they do is they put their best foot forward on social media. So this app was saying, look, I want you to be authentic, be real, life with no filters. Does it always happen that way? No. But when it comes to prayer, the reason I want you to remember that app is because that's exactly what God wants when you come. A lot of times I hear people saying, I don't know what to say. And what I want to say back to you is this, be real. Because you know and I know in relationship when someone is faking it, don't you? I can tell by your body posture, I can tell by your language, your attitude, I can tell when you're faking it with me. And what Jesus is saying, he said this, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, Don't be like the actors. Be real with me. Be real with me. Um, John Ortberg. John Ortberg said this. He said, prayer, like any relationship, must begin in honesty if it's to grow. C.S. Lewis wrote that in prayer we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be. Be real when it comes to prayer. Let's do this one. So we have test drive. Let me see it. Hands up. Test drive. Time and location, be real. Last one, point to your ear and point straight. I know, if this isn't awkward enough, point straight out. Listen expectantly, obey readily. Here we go. Listen expectantly, obey readily. One more time. Listen expectantly, obey readily. James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way. He said, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. If this is conversation with God, do I give him a place to talk? We should be quick to listen, slow to speak, which is the opposite usually in prayer, and slow to become angry. And he skips on down. Don't merely listen, but do what it says. Listen expectantly. I'm expecting you to talk to me, God, and obey readily. 
Listen expectantly, obey readily. Last one. I know, you're excited because we're almost done. Test drive, time and location, be real, listen expectantly, obey readily, and last one, point to this chair, just point, it's easier. This one's the easiest one, point to that chair. Remember who you're talking to. There's an example from um, Bob Russell. Bob Russell used to be the long-term minister of Southeast Christian Church, Bob Russell. He took the church from, what, 200 to about 20,000? Pretty big jump. And they hired a guy on staff named Kyle Eidelman. At the time, Eidelman was probably 26, 27. He met with Bob because he had a problem. Bob required, and the church required, everyone who preached to wear suit and tie. And Bob, as a young man, did not like that. And Bob recounts this, right? Kyle he recounts Kyle coming in to his office. Kyle meets with Bob in his office, and Kyle got right to the point. I know you got this policy that anyone who preaches at Southeast Christian is to wear a suit and tie, but I don't feel comfortable in a suit and tie. I feel like a hypocrite in a suit and tie, and more importantly, I don't think I'm relating to my generation in a suit and tie. Now, appropriate and respectful dress and worship was important to me, so I responded, well, Kyle, we're worshiping Almighty God, and if you went to visit the President of the United States, don't you think you'd wear a suit and tie? And he goes, I had him. There's nothing you can say. I got him. I got him. But Kyle responded quickly, I'd probably not wear a tie if the President were my dad. There you go, mmm, mmm. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes for a second. Whitney says we should engage the imagination. Close your eyes, bow your heads. We said we gotta learn by test driving. Well, let's test drive for a second. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine a room where there are two empty chairs. Two empty chairs. And in one of those chairs, you sit. And in the other chair, God sits. And just for these next 20, 30 seconds, I want you to sit there what would you talk to God about? What would you mention to him? What would you ask him? What would you tell him? Sit for a second and just have a conversation with God. As you're there, stay there for a moment. When Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer, he wants to bring to mind this image. He doesn't start off with Lord God Almighty. He doesn't start Jehovah Jireh. He goes, our Father. As you're sitting there, I want you to imagine then, go ahead and keep your eyes closed. I want to read this over as if I am sitting in God's chair for a moment and telling you this as a reminder of who you're talking to. Let me bring this up. I'm your father. I'm not distant, but I'm close. I know what you need before you ask me. I'm your father who fights for you. I'm your father who I felt you in the womb, I, I saw, I felt you kick. I taught you to walk and to talk, to eat and to move. I, I taught you those things. I'm your father who was there when you fell and bumped the knee. I was there in the wilderness to provide for you. I gave you guidance the whole way. I never left you, but I walked with you through it to stay with you by your side, to encourage you. 
I led you in the wilderness. I gave you advice. And most importantly, I gave you your real name. I gave you your, not what other people say about you, the rumors they may spread, the lies you may hear. No, no, my child, that's not you. I gave you your name. And I loved you before you even came into the world. I loved you. You did nothing to, to deserve or to lose. You couldn't lose my love because I love you. And there's nothing I would not do to be with you. I would give my very life for you. That's the God who's talking in the chair. I want you to listen to this song as we conclude and just think about that empty chair. Listen with me. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It is our deepest desire here at Plainfield Christian Church that you would experience the joy of being fully alive in Jesus. If you have any questions about our church or would like a plan to visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you'd like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.